0: with your hosts, Gene Steinberg and David Biede.
1: So, David, my friend, if you were to see an ad in a magazine for genuine Roswell soil, own a piece of UFO history, soil from the famous 1947 UFO crash site at Roswell, New Mexico, it comes with a certificate of authenticity.
0: Mm-hmm. Sure, it does. Does it come with a uh, piece of the Brooklyn Bridge as well?
1: I understand that's extra.
0: Uh-huh.
1: I understand the bridge is extra, right. you know.
0: Yeah. So that's really silly because obviously there's no such thing as certificate of authenticity unless you have someone certified, someone from the area of Roswell who's an expert in, you know, dirt. Uh, basically, go in front of a notary public and actually create a certified document. Is this a witness document of some... Independent expert on Roswell Dirt.
1: <laughs> I understand that they're having a special on Roswell Dirt this week. It's. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm thinking about this here that normally when I think of dirt, other than what you get in the gardening store, for example, I think mm-hmm. of dirt as one of those tabloid newspapers, okay? All right. So right. All right. So we think, mm-hmm. of, we think of dirt in the tabloids, the supermarket. No, I actually
0: activity. think of dirt as guitar tone. When you dirty up your, your tube tone, you get the dirt kind of fuzz that's what All i right. think of as dirt
1: fuzz now i think we've got the right oh, yeah. phrase
0: for it fuzz okay well, no it's dirt fuzz is actually technically fuzz is different than dirt
1: so is this this fuzz, is a paranormal is
0: conversation i don't know what this is
1: this is neither dirt nor fuzz
0: okay okay, okay what well. i don't
1: know i don't know what
0: you're saying
1: So, anyway, David, instead of dealing with dirt from Roswell, how about something a little bit more factual on a different subject? How does that strike you? Facts are a very good thing. Okay, we're going to have some. A lot of facts from Larry Flaxman of the Arkansas Paranormal and Anomalous Studies Team, okay? Excellent. Excellent. Notice our pass for short, coming up next on the PowerCast.
2: I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore.
1: We have William Burns, the publisher of UFO Magazine, on hand, and he has a special offer for listeners of the PowerCast.
2: Hi, Gene Dave. Good to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Here's our special offer because we love Gene and Dave and the Paracast. We are offering six issues for the price of five. Normally, when you send me a subscription for nineteen ninety-five, a new subscription, you get five issues. It's our introductory offer. But just for our friends on the paracast and friends of Gene and Dave, we're going to throw in an extra issue and give you six issues for the price of five. That's six issues for nineteen ninety-nine Just for you.
1: How do we take advantage of this offer?
2: There are three ways to take advantage of it. One is, if you're online, go to www.ufomag.com, hit subscribe when you come to the PayPal page, just put in under item, PowerCast Offer, 1995, and I will know that you get six issues for the price of five or you could send your check or money order to ufo magazine post office box one one zero one three Marina del Rey, California, that's Ray spelled R-E-Y, California, 90295. Put down your name and your address and on your name and address label, put down Paracast offer. You can also put it on your check for 1995 in your money order. I will know exactly what it means because I'm psychic and I will credit you with six issues instead of five for that 1995. Or you can call me at 1-888-UFO-6242, leave me a message, I will call you back, or if I'm in the office, I'll pick up and just say, hi, I'm a friend of Gene's and Dave's, I listen to the Paracast, here's my special offer, and I will take your name and address and your credit card and send you six issues for the price of five, and that's how you do it. Gene and I love to hear from our listeners,
3: if you'd like to share your thoughts with us, Send your messages to news at That's news at And don't forget to check out our website at theparacast.com, where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums. Also, please patronize our sponsors. Tell them that you've heard their ads on the Paracast. They'll appreciate it, and we will too. You're
2: With Jews I know that they would be any. You never know what's
4: going to happen.
1: Larry, I understand that you're going to be, or you are working on a book with Marie Jones, one of our guests from last year. Can you tell us what it's going to be about?
5: Yeah, sure. Um, Actually, we're working on a two-book series. The first book is going to cover the science of the paranormal. We've kind of tentatively titled that book, Beyond Science, Exploring the Links Between Resonance, Consciousness, and the Zero-Point Grid. And with that book, what we're hoping to do is we want to kind of delve a little bit more deeply into the theories of resonance and human consciousness and what we've come to term the zero-point grid, kind of as, as they both relate to the normal uh, and the paranormal. It, it's basically going to be a follow-up to Marie's uh, award-winning book, Science. So it's going to be the science of science, I guess you could say. The second book that we're working on in the series is going to be tentatively titled Beyond Science 2, Exploring the Psychology of the Paranormal. And in that book what we're looking to do is uh, analyze the psychological effects of paranormal phenomena which uh, includes hysteria, contagion, you know, various things like that. But we want, what we're looking to do is present some uh, evidence of direct human influence on the types of paranormal experiences uh, that people have reported um, from ancient times all the way to modern times. We're going to look at uh, connections between symbolism, magic, folklore, mythology, uh, mass consciousness, and the collective unconscious as they relate to how paranormal phenomena has changed throughout history. So I think both of the books together, they're kind of a follow-up you, Start with one, kind of read the next. I'm really excited about it. These both should be pretty interesting books.
1: You know, from some of the things you said, I had a couple of questions, and maybe we can kind of focus our discussion at the beginning (laughs) of that. And that is paranormal events, the collective unconscious. As paranormal events are concerned, do we include UFOs as part of the entire picture?
5: It can be, sure. That's um, that's not really my primary focus but yeah absolutely it could be considered that you know so one of the theories of ufos is that it's they're dimensional beings that they're creatures from a, a parallel dimension which you know that's paranormal it's be, it's beyond explanation so sure it could be it could be considered
0: that as well well if you're trying to approach the uh, the whole question holistically certainly um at this point one of the things we've talked about in the paracast is that we seem to be hitting a bit of a wall with ufo research looking at some of what the nuts and bolts crowd, as they they are, uh, consider conventional sources for UFOs. But on Paracast, Larry, we've talked a lot about the idea that some number of these things that are called UFO structured craft are Indeed, some sort of an interdimensional thing. In the research that you've done about electromagnetism, and you know, you also bring up zero point and zero zero point energy in the zero point energy field. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of discussion about that in UFO circles, as far as um, you know, the possible source of uh, propulsion for these things. Do you have any research that you guys have done on any of that?
5: Not really anything
0: specific to
5: the UFO field. You know, I'm a a voracious reader of UFO paraphernalia. So, you know, I'm very, very interested in in unexplained phenomena like that. Um, It's a little bit outside of what we do as an organization investigating, but it's, you know, it's definitely a personal interest of mine.
0: Now, with most people who get involved with this uh, this topic, a lot of it usually comes from a personal experience that people tend to have when they're young. Do you have anything like that in your background, something that happened when you were younger that sort of brought you to... Be interested in this ultimately?
5: Um, actually, no. That's a really Go good ahead. question, but but no, the answer is no. I've not had any type of until I started doing this. I, I had not had any type of you know paranormal event that had occurred that really kind of spurred me into this. The thing that I think really got me really interested in, in exploring paranormal phenomena is probably the fact that my own mortality. You know, all of us are probably uh, all of us die eventually, and that's you know it's a reality that we all have to live with. And I guess I would say my fear of mortality, my own mortality, was something that kind of has pushed me to to research what I have. Now, I really wanted to know, is there something else? Do we just flicker out like a light bulb and then that's it? Mm-hmm. Or it really, is there something else? So that's really what's... what's been a motivating factor for me being interested in this i wish i could tell you some you know elaborate story of something happened that caused me to get interested in this but no the truth of the matter is no
0: but now that you're involved in the research side and obviously one of the things that you guys look at i'm guessing are are apparitions and ghostly events have you had experiences that you would categorize as paranormal now that you're sort of stuck in in the research realm Oh, absolutely,
5: yeah. There's been a variety of things that have happened that I can't explain from a a rational, scientific perspective. Things that, you know, yeah, absolutely, I definitely have. It's really funny. There'll be months and months and months of nothing happening on on our investigations. There'll be, Mm -hmm. you know, I like to say that most investigations, it's not like what you see on TV. If you watch some of the popular shows on TV, they they cram an action-packed amount of, of things into an hour, and it's, it's just not like that. Uh, most investigations right. are, as I like to say, long periods of boredom punctuated by sheer terror. You know, there, there's generally lots and lots of sitting around not doing anything but where i was going with that was there'll be months and months at a time where nothing happens at all and i'll start to kind of question my involvement in this kind of you know wonder why am i spending so much money on equipment why am i spending so much time away from my family and then bang something happens there'll be some sort of phenomena there'll be some sort of event that occurs either personally to me or you know within the group that you know most of us do experience So. Yeah, definitely. I've I've experienced things. I've I've been touched. I've been pulled. Um, I've heard heard voices. Um, I've played with a, a, a th- what we think to be a, a three to four year old apparition. Yeah, there's all kinds of cool stuff. Well, well tell
0: us about that last one. That sounds really fascinating.
5: The last one. Okay. We were doing an investigation at a sanatorium in northwest Arkansas. It it was a tuberculosis sanatorium uh, built in the early part of of the century. If you know anything about tuberculosis, basically back then when you were diagnosed with tuberculosis, it was a death sentence. There really was not any type of effective cures. In fact, a lot of the experimental cures that they used uh, actually killed more people than the disease itself. I'd read some of of what had been done uh, where they would take ping pong balls and fill your chest cavity with ping pong balls and then collapse them Shoot. things like that some really you know wow. archaic sounding Medicine. Uh, this particular facility had approximately 2,500 people that had passed away. It's a uh, very large facility. It's uh, five stories. There was two morgues. There was a basement morgue and then a fifth floor morgue. Very very large place. Very large building. We had set up all of our equipment. We'd uh, done our investigation. and It was uh, it was about time to start wrapping up. It was about 11 12 o'clock and we decided to go to the second floor and just kind of hang out one of uh, one of the investigators decided that they wanted to spend a little time on the second floor so we went to the second floor and there was a group of about 30 of us that went there and we were at the one far corner of the hallway looking down the hallway with my FLIR thermal camera which I don't know if you're familiar with thermal camera or not but it, it basically it sure gives you right a camera. visual yep. representation of temperature differentials within an area in other words you can visualize the uh, you know the screen what 's going on temperature wise you can see hot spots, cold spots, et etc, so all of us are looking down the the hallway at the uh, at the thermal imager, and we see what appears to be a figure that kind of um, manifests on the on the screen and the unusual thing about it was that the figure that we saw was the, basically the same ambient temperature as the surrounding environment it wasn't hotter and it wasn't colder, however, it had assumed the shape of what looked to be about a three to four year old girl based on her height. So we're looking at the apparition, and it's moving around the uh, the hallway, and it's kind of walking back and forth, and we're able to see this very, very clearly. So silly me decides that I'm going to walk down the hallway, and I want to see if I can interact with it, see if there's any type of sentient ability from this. Huh. yeah. So I walked down the hallway, and we what we were seeing was about 25, maybe 25, 30 feet away. And we, we keep in radio contact um, all of our, our team members. So they're telling me, as I'm approaching this thing, you know, you're getting close, you're getting close to it. And, of course, I can't see anything physically. But they say, okay, stop right there. So I stopped, and they said, it's right next to you. And I stooped down, like to get down to its level or her level, whatever, whatever it was, uh-huh. down to about the sure. same level. And they said, she's standing right in front of you. So I'm like, okay, well, nothing's happening here. So I stood back up, and I walked forward. And as I walked forward, I had the most horrible, every single hair on the back of of my neck and my body just absolutely stood on end. It was the coldest, coldest feeling that I've ever felt, ever. I know you hear that. It's really kind of a prosaic thing, but it was unbelievably cold. I walked through, I mean, an utter dead cold spot you gotta remember this was this was several weeks ago in Arkansas we have fairly moderate temperature here It was probably mm Maybe in the 70s in the building. It wasn't much higher than that. I guess I could go back through our, our data logs and see what the actual temperature was. But it was definitely nothing that would cause the temperature um, change like that as I walked through it. Absolutely chilled me to the bone. Well, they're still watching on the thermal camera back there and they're like, it passed through you as I walked through oh. it. They said it passed through you and it blocked out my thermal signature, which that's completely unheard of. Usually, if you're familiar with thermography at all, the hot spot kind of bleeds through a cold spot. Um, In other words, if you put your hand on a wall and you... you In the thermal camera at the wall, what you'll see is the heat of your hand absorbing into the wall. You'll see that the temperature, as it starts to spread out and eventually dissipate. Well, what happened with with this particular apparition was as it passed through me, or as I passed through it, actually, as I walked through it, my heat signature on the thermal camera was completely gone. It had completely wiped out my... Signature. Never it seen it basically
0: the, the coldness of it absorbed the heat signature that you. Yeah, were absolutely. It, it absorbed for. my
5: heat signature yeah. in its entirety. Never yeah. ever seen that before. Well, this ends up going on for probably a good thirty to forty-five minutes, and the little entity or whatever you want to call it is displaying very sentient behavior. You know, as I'm talking to it or making gestures toward it, they're radioing to me that they're seeing it, you know, walk around me. It was dancing around me at one point.
0: Really? Dancing?
5: Yeah, that it was actually dancing, like twirling around me. They said that they could actually see what looked to be like a dress. She was lifting up her dress a little bit and kind of, you know, curtsying around me. Well, a little bit further down, I'd say probably another 15 minutes after that, I went back down to the rest of the team, decided to join them. I was kind of, I was done with playing with it because I couldn't see anything. Obviously, I wanted to actually see what they were seeing. At that point, on the left-hand side of where she was, she disappeared. And, and what appeared to be probably a probably 5'9 to 6'2 man appeared on the thermal camera. Same thing. Um, it's the exact same ambient temperature as the environment. But he is absolutely clear. She was when I'm going when I was going back through the video, um, replaying back through it. I could see it, but it wasn't you know really really clear. There you know there's a pretty good chance that we could have been matrix, matrixing the image of her. But the image of the man is absolutely crystal clear. At one point, you can even see where he folds his arms. It's that clear. So. Huh. It was a very, very cool experience. That In all of my 12 years of doing this, that is probably, you know, that, that's the, the biggest, that, that is literally the holy grail of ghost hunting. That, that's the biggest thing that's ever happened to me.
0: So, Larry, I've got to ask the question. I assume your team was videotaping or somehow getting a video capture.
5: Yeah, this, yeah, we right? have the whole thing. The, the thermal cameras, we, we have a uh, digital DVR that hooks up to it and we record everything. So yeah, we've got we've got the entire thing.
0: We'd love to see some of those frames, man. If you're saying that this this man was really clear, we'd love to look very at some clear. of those frames.
5: Very 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 clear. Yeah, I'd be happy to send it to you guys.
0: Not a problem at all. That'd be incredible. That'd be really great. I mean, the thing is, and of course this is part of the question about the methods that you guys use to actually document and log all of this data. I guess, you know, people who listen to this might think, well, Gee, you know what's the story? Maybe these guys went and staged something. I mean, how do you how do you respond to people when they ask you about stuff like that?
5: You know, there, there's always going to be skeptics, no matter what. Our past, we are a 100% scientifically founded and based organization. We follow scientific methodology to a T. You know, members of our group, we have physicists that are members of our group. There's doctors. You know, we we have a very large cross section of professional folks. And really, the only way to answer that is by saying, you know, look at our data and decide for yourself. You know, we we log environmental data. That's primarily what we do. We, as an organization, are not ghostbusters. We don't consider ourselves um, as such we are simply investigating unknown phenomena and by doing that our primary focus is on environmental conditions you know most people when they most groups in other words uh, when they're doing paranormal investigation they consider themselves ghost hunting groups or they consider themselves you know
6: spirit type groups
5: we're not that at all we look at underlying environmental conditions that may have a causative effect on what people are perceiving to be paranormal events so what we actually do is we log we log lots and lots of environmental data more than anything else we don't use psychics on any of our investigations we log 100% black and white data we we don't look at anything uh, subjective uh, at all, you know it, it, that's one of the reasons we don't use dowsing rods, we don't use Ouija boards, we don't use psychics. You know, we are 100% science-based. So, in answer to your question, how do you respond to somebody like that? You know, other than saying, look at our data, look at our measure, look at look at how we actually our methodology, how we actually go about doing things. Um, I'm not sure you can convince the most ardent skeptic of anything, regardless of sure. your your motivations, regardless of your methods. I, I, I'm not sure you can.
1: Okay, so this raises a you know kind of a very big issue here, which is a lot of people, the skeptics, for example, and we refer to that guy named R A N D I. Yeah. He demands proof, right. and people like you say, well, this is what we can present, and part of it is that you can't reproduce the event. So right, I, I, yeah, how do you respond to people like that?
5: That's an, a very important aspect of scientific methodology. It is the reproducibility. And you're absolutely right. There's not a reproducibility that's possible. You know, the most you can do is you can hope for control of your environment. You can hope to, to maintain a controlled environment. But as far as reproducibility, no, there's really not a way. I mean, the dynamics of an investigation, the dynamics of a paranormal event are such, um, they're so fluid and they're so, they're so mixed that, you know, there's not really a, a method to do that. You can't predict when something's gonna appear. There's just no way to do that. You know, if you look at traditional science, even if you look at some non-traditional science, look at some string theory type stuff. Now, look at the um, bosons. Look at some things like that. You know, this is we are charting uncharted territory. Basically, we are in the beginning stages of understanding something. Which think of string theory five years ago. You know, that that would have been something that would have been completely unheard of. There was not any type of scientific basis. In fact, there was no um, there was no means that they had to test. There was There was nothing that could be done about it, basically. And it's the exact same thing with paranormal phenomena. You can't reproduce it, but maybe reproducing it is not the correct thing for this type of field. Does that make sense? Maybe there's other ways of capturing data, or maybe there's other things that we can do to help us better understand the phenomena.
0: When you bring up quantum mechanics and quantum physics, which I think a lot of people who do research, any kind of research in the field of the paranormal, they're looking to that, I think, now for a lot of the explanations for a lot of these things. But the problem, of course, there is that when we talk about things like string theory, even in the traditional realm of physics, I mean, traditional physicists look at that, they consider that, Sort of fringy. The, the that the physicists are doing that kind of work. Yeah. You know, some of them, I think, have a hard time, right?
5: Sure. Think about the Earth was once flat. Exact same. It's, you know, it's the exact same uh, comparison. You know, science traditionally thought that the Earth was flat at one time until it was proven otherwise. Same thing. Paranormal phenomena, string theory you know, uh, zero-point grid, a lot of that is the same type of thing. I mean, we're just in the beginning, the infancy stages of trying to understand a phenomena that we can't completely comprehend at this point.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, people think that our our scientific and technical ability is uh, probably a lot further along than it it is. Of course, there are some that say that there are organizations within, for example, the government that have access to information that is a generation or two or three beyond what people think we have. Let me ask you a question, Larry, about your own personal background. What is your professional background? What, how, you know, how did you come to be involved in this based on what you do professionally? What do you do professionally?
5: I'm in the IT field. I do technology. So I'm, I'm a gadget guy, as evidenced by
0: all the equipment that we uh, harness. A gadget guy. Well, then you're, you're like one of us because Gene and I are sort of gadget guys, right, Gene?
1: Sort of, yes. We are sort of gadget guys. So how does the gadget guy kind of reconcile that kind of viewpoint with the interest in the paranormal? Doesn't that kind of almost sound... I guess they say the same thing to us, so bear with me. Doesn't that tend to make it seem as if you're doing something that is against your beliefs?
6: No, no I don't think so.
5: Are you talking from a religious standpoint? Or are you... Where are you coming from
1: now? I'm thinking from the technological aspect of it, that this is something that's at variance with your normal approach. You're saying, okay, he's a technologist, he deals with this stuff, how can he then be chasing after ghosts and magnetic phenomena doing, and that kind of thing?
5: Right. I, I think there's actually a lot, of, uh, a lot of parallels between the two. I mean, both require a certain amount of detail orientation, uh, a tremendous amount of detail orientation. They both require attention to detail, for sure. They Both types of field requires, you know, kind of an open mind, definitely requires that. Different ways of doing things. Actually, I, I, no, I think there's a lot of parallels between the two. The methodology and the, the methods for doing things may be a little bit different but I think there's a lot of parallels between the two.
0: When you say IT, I, I mean to pride, but Just because, um, again, Gene and I both have a background in technology. My specific interests come from uh, digital media, image processing, and essentially multimedia. So I'm just wondering more specifically, like, you know, what kind of work have you done that, you know, has given you abilities that you bring specifically to the field of paranormal research?
5: Uh, I do a tremendous amount. I don't really want to go too deep into what I do, but I do a tremendous amount of uh, forensic reconstruction on PCs. So I do a lot in the forensics field regarding PCs. Mm-hmm.
1: That raises, of course, something that might be difficult to describe, except do you work with law enforcement agencies or privately? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, law enforcement. Okay. All right. So yep. you're kind of the guys we see on Law & Order who are recovering a pc.
5: Yeah, they're all pretty. You, you know, those people you see on TV are all good-looking and... <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. Well, we won't say any more about that because when people look at David and myself, they engage in what is called the freak out. I mean, we're not pretty,
0: pretty, pretty, pretty ugly. Maybe. <laughs>
1: if you go to the Paracast website, you will see a picture of Tim Beckley, and he, he doesn't a look. Scary guy. He is a scary guy. Oh, so, scary dude! Oh, yeah.
3: Today, whether you're in business or simply want to share something with friends or family, email and voicemail sometimes just aren't enough. That's why you should try GoToMeeting, a web conferencing solution that will revolutionize how you communicate with your business associates, family, and friends. The ability to host online meetings is an absolute must for today's business. With GoToMeeting.com, it's just like you're all in the same room. Unlimited meetings for one flat rate means you can meet as often as you want for as long as you need. Try it yourself, free for 30 days. Just visit gotomeeting.com forward slash techpodcasts. That's gotomeeting.com forward slash techpodcasts. Try GoToMeeting
0: free today.
4: You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast.
1: You're on the PowerCast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney. We are talking to Larry Flaxman, and he's associated with Arkansas Paranormal and Anomalous Studies Team. Now, how did you get involved with this organization? Is this something you founded or became part of?
5: Uh, founded. We uh, we actually created this, uh, formally founded this in February of 2007. Um, we've all been doing this. Many, many years. I myself have been doing this for 12. Uh, most of the members of the group have been doing this for multiple years as well.
0: Now, I don't know, uh, Larry, that people think of Arkansas as necessarily a hotbed of paranormal activity. Could you fill us in on that? Or is, is indeed there a good amount of this type of activity in the state of yeah, Arkansas? absolutely.
5: Sure, there there is. You know, I think paranormal activity can be found any place. It doesn't, you know, necessarily relegate it to one specific area. But yeah, um Arkansas there's a tremendous amount of history here. You know, there's uh if you watch the Ghost Hunters episode where they investigated the uh hotel in Eureka Springs, that's here in Arkansas. There's lots of lots of old things here. In addition to Arkansas of course, we travel outside quite a bit. We do a lot of investigations in Texas, quite a few in, in uh Oklahoma, a couple in Tennessee. We uh, we travel around, so we're not just uh, Missouri. We're not just strictly limited to Arkansas. So tell us about some other
0: cases that you've, you've looked into that provided compelling video or image evidence. I'm just really curious about that. I mean, what, what kinds of interesting things have you seen? Oh, uh, well. Kind of a big question, but.
5: You know, pictures, I don't think, and video to another extent as well, I, I don't think are prima facie evidence really of anything. Sure. You know, Photographs, video can be doctored very, very easily. There's ways that you can use to determine the authenticity, of course, but you know, still, there's always going to be somebody that says, you know, you photoshopped that, or, you know, you did something. You know, honestly, with the exception of the thermal camera capture that we got a couple of weeks ago, honestly, there's nothing that just absolutely sticks out in my mind as anything that's just mind-blowingly awesome as far as evidence. You know, most of the evidence that we get, I would say, would be a lot more of a personal nature. Um, It wouldn't be anything. Uh, really, that was data logged on equipment. It would it would more be experiential type stuff. We had an interesting picture that we took uh, at the Pythian Castle in Springfield, Missouri. I guess about two, maybe three months ago. Um, it was interesting in that the fact that it was kind of a it's a bright glowing orange shape. It looks to be, you know, what people have said. There's a face in there, but you know, that's, again, that's paradelia. You're, you're kind of seeing what you want to in there. Dude. It was interesting from the fact that I can't explain what caused it, but I don't think it was anything paranormal. Yeah, I really can't. There's nothing that just pops out in my mind is, oh my gosh, that's awesome, other than that thermal capture.
0: Well, there's something you said before though I think it's really important. We should just talk about it for a moment, which is that so much of what ends up being the data that comes out of these experiences are indeed personal stories, subjective data essentially. How do you right. reconcile that fact with the sort of the normal objectivity of the scientific method? I think that's what a lot of people get confused about. When people well, say they're terrible. Really. Um,
5: right? Personal experiences, you know, any t- time any of my investigators have any type of personal experience, I'll have them log it, but that's it. We don't use that in any of our correlative uh, queries at all. It's not something that we use to determine Activity whatsoever. It's just, you know, cool, you had a cool experience, great. But there's not any type of, you know, scientific plus or minus that's attached to that. And I don't think that there really can be. You know, one person's experience could be so vastly different from another person's experience, even two people sitting right next to each other, that there's not really a way that you can take their personal experience and kind of translate that into a positive, you know, data algorithm that you could say that, you know, this is proof positive of the paranormal
0: because I felt it. There's just, there's no way to do that. But do you maybe personally think that there might be some way to gain an insight into the nature of what's going on based on even looking at two subjective stories and trying to create an intercorrelation between them that gives you sort of a, I guess, the equivalent of an intellectual parallax Yeah. kind of look at, you see what I'm saying? It, maybe what we need at that point then is a new set of tools that takes borrows from the scientific method, but then also integrates elements of psychology. And you were talking before about working on a book right. dealing with the psychological aspect of this. I mean, so I guess what I'm trying to ask you, is there's some way to bridge those two worlds to try to get some, some information? Because I think that if you look at the scientific method alone, this ends up being almost a, sort of a brick wall. Because is, essentially, if you, if you don't have instrumentation, right, I mean, how do you even measure things? Yeah, absolutely, you've hit a lot of important points there.
5: Let me talk about the instrumentation first and then I'll kind of backtrack to your other question. Three other points I should say. One of the things that you see um, that kind of differentiates our organization from most other organizations is the equipment that we use. Like I mentioned previously, what we do is we look at environmental data. We log environmental data, basically anything that, that can possibly be logged environmentally. And we've created a database and what we do is we take the data that's, that's been captured, um, the environmental data that's captured, we input it into our database and we run cross correlative queries among, along that data to try to look for similarities we're looking for things that are either similar dissimilar things that you know that may have occurred in one place but not occurred in another was there any was there any similarities between the two things that could have caused that And that kind of goes back a little bit to speak to what we were talking about earlier about reproducibility you know it'd be nice one day to be able to once we have a, a complete data set and we're able to correlate and we, we are able to determine this is what occurs when a paranormal event happens and eventually somehow try to recreate that based on our data don't know if that's ever going to happen but you know that that's a a goal eventually. It's so that's really, that, that's, it's very, very important. So all the groups that are running around there with psychics, and I'm, I'm sure this is probably going to offend some folks, but it, that's not science. You know, sci- science is not using psychics, basically. There is no way to log the data from a psychic. It's, it's completely subjective. There, there's no way that you can take what a psychic says and it can be black and white. Do you know what I mean? It, it's just well, not something that's scientifically admissible.
0: So. Well, here's the question, question about that though but what happens when you have and I'm not saying this is necessarily believable but let's say you have a psychic go to a haunted spot Mm -hmm. and the psychic is taken there and has no idea of where he or she is going and somehow they come up with some impressions or maybe even some names or some dates that then end up being verifiable in the real world I'm sure there are at least one or two cases of that I know that people say there are lots of cases but let's say even if there are one or two cases of that doesn't that then present a potential source for data it does I mean, but you how,
5: again, how do you log that type of data how do you correlate a person's feelings with hard data like environmental conditions electromagnetic radiation temperature radioactivity how do you correlate the two things i mean you're taking basically a kind of a, a three dimensional and trying to correlate it against a one-dimensional, if that makes any sense. I I understand what you're saying, and I completely agree with it. I just don't know from a logistics standpoint how you would be able to work um, that within the framework of, uh,
0: you know, black and white data. Well, the the dimensional issues are really interesting because actually maybe what we're dealing with is uh, fifth-dimensional events, trying to record them from three-dimensional reality. Yeah, uh, absolutely true. It's just as frustrating, right? I mean, you know, where's the instrumentation? Right. One of the things that I've, I've noticed when people bring out an EMF meter, mm-hmm. you know, it's always interesting to see that. And, and the, the, the thing that jumps to my mind is, okay, so do they have a Faraday cage around the house? Right, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. there are all these issues that come up, you know, do, uh, where's the geologist to talk about what the Earth's magnetic field is doing at this particular place? And is that going to somehow have an effect uh, on the EMF reader? You know, there's all these issues because what ends up happening, of course, is that anybody can go out and buy a FLIR camera, right? If you've got the money, you can go out and buy the electromagnetic, the EMF meter. Right. But that doesn't necessarily mean you know how to use it. Exactly. I mean, do they come with decent documentation?
5: (laughs) (laughs) No. That particular piece of equipment doesn't. That's Yeah, I actually had to go through training to learn how to interpret that thing. You know, that actually, you bring up an excellent point. I don't know if you're going in this direction or not, but the groups that do have equipment, and where I was going with my previous conversation was most groups don't have equipment, or the equipment that they have, they've seen their favorite ghost hunter on TV using it, and they think that that's what they need to use. They don't actually think about the science and the logistics of Why would you use a piece of equipment like that? Just as much as how do you actually use a piece of equipment like that? You know, I I get a kick out of watching some of the shows on TV where they're carrying around their EMF meter and they're waving it all around in the air. You know, that's the first thing you don't do. You don't wave the EMF meter around. I mean, your body produces its own electrical field enough that the EMF meter will pick it up. And by waving it around, you know, there's a pretty good chance that you're actually picking up the micro voltage that your own body is putting out. But, you know, more than likely they don't have training. That's one of the things that, it's we stress that highly in my organization is we we hold uh, monthly training as well as monthly meetings separate so we do we do a lot of training um, but going back to your back to your question about the, the FLIR, no, that's that's definitely a piece of equipment. And unless you've had training and how to interpret it, you have no idea. I mean, you really don't. I mean, it looks cool, and you see the people on TV using it, and it looks cool. But unless you actually know how to interpret the results and you've gone through a thermography class, either from FLIR or from one of the other uh, certified vendors,
0: then, yeah, you don't have a clue. So that brings us to an interesting question I've been meaning to ask you. I've been actually looking through some of the documentation on your website, and we're going to talk a bunch about that in a moment. But um, in terms of gathering EBP data, mm-hmm. here's a question I have. I know that the guys on that silly Ghost hunter show, it's not silly. Let's face it, they've actually done a lot for the field in they exposing they, it to people they, and getting people interested, right? Yeah, absolutely. They have brought tremendous amount of awareness to our field. I guess that's a good thing. So, But here's the thing. They go in to record EBPs, and they end up using these very low fidelity, mm-hmm. uh, essentially dictaphone. Voice yep. recorders. Right. So what's the deal with that? Because it, it seems to me if you're trying to capture a broad dynamic range You're more likely going to want to use a really high quality field recorder. You know that's recording, let's say, 24 bit, 96 kilohertz stuff. Is there something I'm missing here, Larry? No, you
5: are exactly right. Um, The actual the recorder that we use is a 24 bit, uh, 96. It's a most of the digital recorders that we use are. Um, I've got a 24 track that I use. I've got a uh, 24 96 that I use. And yeah, but the reason why I think you're seeing that a lot on television, why people are using low fidelity, less expensive pieces of equipment, are one, it's less expensive. You can go to Walmart and buy most of the digital recorders that people are using. And also, two, EVP has traditionally been been found um, in the under 50 hertz range, which if you look on the box, most of those things will say, you know, that they'll do 25 to 20 kilohertz. So people will look at that and they'll think, you know, okay, my great little $49 digital recorder will record within this range that most EVPs have been found, most legitimate EVPs have been found at. So it's not so much a matter of it just that they're, they're junk. I think it's economics. I really do. I think that's the vast majority of it. And it, costs, it could also come back to training. You know, people may not be aware of some of the higher quality pieces of equipment that are out there that will
0: record full spectrum. Right, but it's just wacky then that these ghost hunter guys... A friend of the show, Jeff Jeff Ritzman, a uh, buddy uh, of the show and a frequent guest of ours, our official third uh, third host, he went up went and went out and got a, a voice recorder, and I guess he had done some research and looked at what they were using. He came back and told me that they were using some you know like Olympus, literally low quality voice recorder. Now you know the Ghost Center guys are not going to pick up a piece of gear like that because of economic racism. Sure, the sci-fi channels underwriting their stuff. So, I mean, I look at that and I think, well, wait a minute, you know, why are, why aren't they going out with like a, a decent uh, M Audio, like a, like a, yeah, a, right. a I forget the name of that device, right, or right. or the Sony unit, which is really good. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going out with these like dictaphone things. At that point, you have to think, well, okay, the data they're capturing is is not real strong. The other thing I've noticed about what they've done, uh video stuff that they grab. Interestingly enough, I guess none of the team has any chops in terms of doing image processing because uh, <laughs> there was this one thing that they captured in a in a in a prison, this uh, yes. kind of yes. a veiled thing going down right? You know which which piece of yeah. talking
4: a- about. Have you
5: read all the uh, the debunkers on the internet about that? No, actually I haven't. Oh, there's, yeah, tremendous amount of good stuff, actually, pretty convincing.
4: Well,
0: still, the thing is, like, give me that clip. Let me take it to After Effects and mess with the channels. Right. And I can actually see what's, what's going on. It's, well, it's, you, know, it's you also have that. to keep in mind that the show, the yeah. TV show, you know,
5: they never bill it as a documentary. It's billed as a show for entertainment. Entertainment. So you know, advertising dollar-wise is not going to go to do toward a real. Let, let me put it this way: if we had a TV show and they were actually videoing us on on normal uh, investigative operations, it would be so boring. Other than you know all of us just kind of clowning around, but from an investigative standpoint and an evidence day, uh, gathering standpoint, it would be so boring that advertisers are not going to want that. So you know, they have to produce evidence. They have to they have to be showmen, and you know they, they do a really good job of it. You know, they've really brought, like we mentioned before, they've really kind of brought this whole field into the public eye. So we're not really thought of as much as freaks and, you know, crazy nuts like we used to be as much you know if nothing else it's kind of put a positive spin on paranormal investigation but yeah you're absolutely right I mean the equipment that they use I would be almost willing to bet you that the FLIR thermal camera that they use that the gentlemen that are on that show have no formal training in either using or interpreting it I'd be willing to almost bet anything on that um, same thing with most of the other equipment you know they, do they have certifications Maybe, probably not, though. Well, I think it's a
1: matter of getting ratings, and ratings do not require special qualifications. Other absolutely not. Then simply
5: no. having, and it's a different sure. perspective. I mean, you know, my group—we are trying to do things from a scientific perspective. We're not trying to get into the limelight. We're not trying to sell advertising. We're trying to find answers. And you know, I'm not saying that they're not, but you know, if you compare apples and apples, you know, there's really some vast differences between the methodologies of what TV show groups do and what real-world investigative groups do.
1: Sure, sure. Well, TV shows, as you say, is for entertainment, and you don't have to prove anything.
5: Exactly. You know, there there are several websites, if you go out there and you Google for it, there are several websites that have taken it upon themselves to absolutely debunk some of the evidence that those shows have have created. You know, that that particular um, clip that you're talking about was, I believe, the Mansfield Reformatory. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. There was a, a website that I had seen, where they were, a person had gotten a copy of the video. They were able to bring it into their, their uh, video program. They slowed it down to one frame per second and they stepped through and stepped through and stepped through. And then as the apparition or whatever it was was turning to walk away. You can only see this when you stepped it down to one frame per second versus the 30 frame per second full full motion. But as the apparition turned to walk away, you could clearly make out Reebok shoes. You know.
1: Okay, so you, ghosts wear Reebok shoes, or maybe they have a special yeah, you know, on yeah. the other I side. Mean, absolutely. They, they sure. could. On the other side, they have on a special side, concession yeah. for Reebok but, you know, shoes. you that's
5: entertainment. You watch the show as, as well as probably you know hundreds of other, hundreds of thousands of other people have watched the show, and they thought, you know, gosh, that's really cool. They captured a ghost, even if they didn't. You know, it's it got ratings, and that's what's important to some people.
1: Well, it's important to the stations.
5: I watch that show. I watch most of the shows that are on TV just to kind of get new ideas and see what other groups are doing and stuff. You know, from an entertainment perspective, it's a great show. It really is. From an investigative perspective, you know, as far as me learning new techniques to utilize, no, not so much.
1: Hey, listeners, did you know that Fate is the oldest and best-known publication on the paranormal? Well, since 1948, Fate has provided their readers with fascinating in-depth articles on subjects like psychics and spiritualists, ghosts and hauntings, UFOs and aliens, as well as readers' true personal mystical experiences. For under $20, you can keep up with all the latest information. To subscribe, call now at one 800 728 Two seven three zero, or visit Fate's website at www.fatemag.com. That's one eight hundred seven two eight two seven three zero, or www.fatemag.com. So what are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. You're a little with James and
4: David B.
1: You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney, Larry Flaxman, who works with the Arkansas Paranormal and Anomalous Studies team. How many team members do you have, by the way?
6: we have about 110.
1: Wow, we? wow. Now, all these people have some kind of ability to handle equipment to do this and kind of investigation?
5: Just about everyone. The ones that are, that do not, we have some of our researchers in training that are still, they have still yet to go through all of our training modules. Once they complete the training modules, yes, that all of them will, will have that.
1: Oh, okay. So this way people can at least meet some kind of basic standard.
5: Oh, yes. Yeah, absolutely. We have, we have actually very strict standards for membership. Like I had mentioned before, we hold monthly training. We'll have monthly meetings as well. The training is an ongoing process both in person and we're also looking at putting it online as well, having a web-based training system. So training is, is a very integral part of what we do. Um, training how to use the equipment, training how to interview people, training how to interpret results from the equipment. You know, it, you, you can't live in a vacuum. And if we're, if we're all going to try to do this and we're all trying to look and capture clean data, that's really the only thing you can do is you, you have to train your people properly
1: okay so that's very important do you also have doctors professors whatever people who have some kind of training right okay do they get involved in the training of new people
5: yes absolutely yeah all of our all of our folks are inter involved with training and no matter even me you know being the president of the group I still go through training just like everybody else
0: yeah well I was looking through the documents that are on for example the research page Mm-hmm. On uh, on your website, and there are some documents that I think are really interesting. I have a particular interest in Photoshop and image processing, mm-hmm. and uh, I've been in a position where I've got people sending me photos. Um, I've shown up at a couple of UFO meetings. People bring out photos, right? And how many times have you seen orbs? Right, so I end up having this discussion, right? And you know, you know, I'm going with this, yeah. Where you start to tell people, you know, okay, let me guess, you took that with a digital camera, right? And and the flash was going, yeah. Okay, let's talk about. Do you look at the presentation that's on there that I put together on Yeah, yeah. Okay, absolutely. You guys have a very, very good uh, PDF file, the org presentation that uh, should be like required reading. I I believe Um, it should. I think it should. I mean, people need to understand the most basic aspects of photography, which they don't. It's kind of this interesting dilemma that. You know, we have a population that is living at a time when you know, computer graphics can basically do anything, and, and you know, you can, if you're a director and you have a vision, you can, if you have enough money and time, you can fulfill that vision. But even in, it, with all of that knowledge of how to do things, the public at large essentially doesn't have much of a conception yeah. of how images are put together, right? And, and so right. that word brief presentation you have is is really good. It's very strong, and it it's like required reading. Now, at the same time, I downloaded spherical electromagnetic waves, Mm -hmm. and it's four pages of incredibly dense math. I mean... Do you have people who call you up and go, gee, I really love that spherical electromagnetic wave document. Give me no, more. No,
5: but bel- believe it or not, there are people that actually enjoy that kind of stuff. I mean, my vice president is is very big into the math aspect of, of physics, and, you know, God love her. She, she digs that kind of stuff. You know, I don't. You probably don't. But there are people that actually enjoy
0: that. Well, sometimes I do. That one, though, was just, you know, I just started looking through going, oh, man, this is uh, <laughs> yeah, this is officially over my head. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, the orb presentation is perfect for the layperson. That mm-hmm. is the kind of person that's going to take a a picture and go, "Ooh, look at the orbs." I mean, Bill Burns is a friend of the show, UFO magazine. And they're they're friends of ours, and we like them. But they've run things in that magazine where I've sent Bill or Nancy an email going, "You know, what is this?" These are this is dust stuff. Stop it, because it, it propagates. The, you know, the problem is this stuff propagates, and people go, "Oh, gee, I'm seeing these things." Meanwhile. There's a piece of video, Larry, which if you've never seen, I'll I'll track it down and send you the link to it. There was a special that was done, visual evidence. And uh, there was this case, I forget the name of the fellow, but it was in the Black Forest in, uh, in, I believe, South Carolina. And there is this footage of these plasma orbs outside of this guy's home, which are just incredible pieces of footage. And then there's footage of this thing inside of the house. It's like a, a black and white security camera piece of video, but it is some of the most insanely compelling and realistic. Oh, it's it's like a smoking gun for strange plasma-like entities, and this thing is moving in front of the camera with what appears to be some sort of purpose. It's incredibly clear. It's right up against the camera. It's, it's definitely not any kind of a conventional effect I've ever seen.
5: Um, Has there been providence or verification done on the clip to make sure that it wasn't uh, manipulated in any way?
0: Uh, well, I can't tell you because I haven't spoken to the guy who shot the clip. I can just tell you what I saw <laughs> based on the interview with this guy on the show and the footage. Mm-hmm. I can tell you as someone who understands quite a bit about visual effects work that this was not, uh, this was not generated. This was not fabricated. This was clearly shot uh, in-camera and, again, looking at what the the, the video actually captures. Mm-hmm. I can't think of any way that someone like this would have been able to figure out a way to create an in-camera effect to, like to do that. This look. Oh, it, it's it, it's amazing stuff, but the problem, Larry, here, here's where I'm going with this. So you have these pieces of footage, like you guys have that, uh, that clear camera footage of the dancing child and the clear man. I mean, I'm dying to see this, mm-hmm. but yet you get something like this that's really clear very convincing and what happens i mean people don't necessarily pay attention to it or some people do and look at it and go that's really interesting everybody else goes so what i mean how do you deal with the uh, i think for a lot of people there's a good amount of apathy about this
5: yeah there is there is i mean for for every uh, every person like that though there's you know 10 people that actually are truly interested so i don't, I don't know how you really can deal with that i mean other than you do you know, think it's 10 to 1 really yeah, I really do. I think there's a lot more people. If you look at the, the ratings for the TV shows and stuff, I mean, I think there's a lot more people that are are interested in this kind of stuff than are not. You know, everybody everybody at one time in their life has gone and spoke to a psychic. You know, everybody everybody's had questions about what if or... Things in their past, things in their future, kind of stuff. Yeah, you know, people are interested in that. You know, it's 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 just humanity. You know, people people want to know. So I, I don't know. I, don't, I really don't. I really think, you know, if you look at the ratings and you look at the um, stuff on the internet, especially, um, I think there's more people are interested than are not. But are people
0: using critical thinking in looking at this Probably stuff? Not. I mean, or, No. Right. I mean, it's just entertainment for people.
5: Yeah, especially if you look at the orb type stuff are they using critical thinking probably not you know more than likely they're wanting to see what they want to see and you know here's my perspective I know I don't want to get too off topic and go back to the whole orb thing but here's my perspective on the orbs do I believe orbs are spiritual no I think that 99.999% of them can be explained rationally using you know traditional science you know one of the pieces of equipment that we use is a particle counter and I, I can tell you when we go into places that look absolutely clean the minute we turn the particle counter on there is so much dust that's in the air that you can't even see so you know it, my perspective on the whole orb thing is somebody captures a picture of an orb and they look at it and they think it's a picture of their dead grandmother you know they see a face in there what's the harm in that you know if it's a coping mechanism for that person and it, if it makes the person feel good what's the harm you know scientifically scientifically Is it it anything that's of value? Probably not. But do those people really care if it's scientifically of importance to them? No. They're using that as a coping mechanism. They're using you know, the emotional attachment, the emotional aspect of that is more powerful to them than black and white proof. And I'm okay with that.
0: Really, I guess some people would say, well, you know, we live in enough denial as it is a society. Maybe we rely too much on coping mechanisms. Yeah, that's get, probably true. To get through the day, right? I mean, and when we try to talk about paranormal topics, it's so easy to fall off into I think the equivalent of coping mechanisms, where you know, like when you talk about alternate theories for things, mm-hmm. there are a lot of people who are interested in the field who just lock up. They just they just don't want to hear any alternative explanation. Right. You know, when we talk about the UFO topic, which we talk about quite a bit on the show, if you try to bring up commonalities between, for example, uh, the interdimensional aspects of UFOs and the interdimensional aspects of apparitions, I think there's a lot of reason you could say. Well, there are a lot of reasons where you could sort of look at this and go, well, maybe there are some. There is some amount of overlap, but right. the UFO people don't want to know anything about you know, the ghosts, Uh, forget it. And the ghost people go, oh, UFOs, crazy lights in the sky, you know, forget it. You know, Um,
5: it's all related, though. I mean, if you think about it, uh, unknown uh phenomena, you know, it's all related in in some manner some aspect. There's some relation between everything.
0: They're all aspects of nature, right? I mean, it's funny how people call this stuff supernatural. Right. And we've, we've talked about this on the show before where it's like, no, it's not supernatural, it's just, it's, it's outside of our realm of perception or understanding. Does that mean it's not part of nature? obviously, you know, like you're talking about apparitions, these things clearly appear to be part of the natural world, just a part that we don't understand. Absolutely. Yes, that's exactly right.
4: So I mean, we don't fully
0: understand
5: yet. Something that you know, up until now, mainstream science has not taken this field seriously at all. And it's only you know fairly recently that science is even taking a possible look. And I I definitely wouldn't say that they're they're serious about it, but they're at least you know looking at the possibility that there may be something. You know, five ten years ago, I mean, that was a distant distant possibility. You know, paranormal investigators got laughed at. You know, this was this was just a a joke of a hobby and, you know, and I'm sure we have probably brought a lot of this on ourselves. But, you know, now that science is actually taking notice of it and they're looking at some of the, uh, the logistics and the possibilities of things, you know, who knows what's, what's actually gonna come around next. You know, if science really focuses on things, you know, maybe we'll
0: get some answers. Well, now is that true? Is science really looking, taking a closer look at this? I mean, at qualify that statement, please. Some of
5: the some of the studies that are being done, especially quantum mechanics wise, where they're they're looking at parallel dimensions, I think tie very, very nicely in with paranormal phenomena. So I think once they start doing a little bit more research into uh, the parallel dimension, and I actually, I read something this morning on ANOVA, and ANOVA about that that there's possibly um, that they're able to uh, prove a fifth dimension now I mean actually prove it scientifically so you know now that scientists are actually taking that more seriously and they're looking at the possibility of things that are outside of their understanding or their traditional realm of knowledge, you know, there's a good, there's a very good tie-in with paranormal phenomena as well. You know, I think the two are very interrelated, just like what you mentioned with the UFOs. You know, I think UFOs and paranormal phenomena, there's, there's quite a bit of, of parallels between the two, and I think once science starts looking at one, you know, by default, they're actually going to start looking at
0: the other as well. Well... Do you think that, now maybe there's a rogue scientist out there who is possibly doing this at home when they're off the corporate clock. I mean, is there a possibility we'd actually see, when we talk about science mm-hmm. looking at this, I mean, do you, do you see a possibility of a concerted real peer effort to look but at this? I mean, do you done. think that's possible?
5: Really? Yeah, well, it's already being done um, from the psychological perspective, at least, of paranormal phenomena. There's a gentleman by the name of Dr. Michael Persinger in Canada, and I don't know if you're familiar with any of his work or not, but basically what he has been able to do is by stimulating the uh, cerebral cortex with electromagnetic symbols signals, he's been able to induce paranormal phenomena or paranormal events in people's brains. He's been able to about this. Okay, yeah, yeah. The, the God machine or the the, uh, the God yeah. helmet, I think they called it. Okay, yeah. yeah. So this is a legitimate scientist at Laurentian University that's actually doing uh, research now into the physiology and the physic or the psychology of paranormal phenomena he's been able to, to create paranormal phenomena within the brain he's been able to create what's called the sense presence things that are all typically associated with paranormal phenomena and that's something that he's actively researching daily so you know I wouldn't consider him really a fringe scientist per se but you know he may be the model for for uh, for other people to do the same kind of thing
0: well but ultimately his work is going to end up showing that what we consider paranormal phenomena is- is all basically, essentially, brain farts.
5: Mm-hmm. I mean, exactly. So do you think that's true? I think a large percentage of it is. I really do. Oh. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think the brain is, is a powerful it is a powerful receiver of consciousness. And I, I think that um, a lot of what experiences that we have are, you know, do experiential things you know, within the brain soup, you know, maybe not so much physical events. You know, and that could be a good explanation for why, you know, Two people that are right next to each other, one person has an experience and the other person doesn't. You know, there could be something within that person's brain that the other person doesn't possess. One of the experiments that I'd really like to do, um, once we get a little bit more funding, is we would like to look at um, purchasing a, a portable EEG unit, where we can actually do uh, brain scans of investigators during an investigation and actually see what you know what's actually going on up there while events are occurring. You know, either, either while they're walking around or you know previous to an event that occurs, and then be able to go back through the data and see exactly what had changed within the brain.
4: Hey, I'll That's- tell you
1: what, we're just about out of the first hour of the show, and we're going to reconvene on the other side of the hour with Larry Flaxman, and he heads up an organization called the Arkansas Paranormal and Anomalous Studies Team, and you're in the Paracast.
4: You are about to enter another dimension a dimension not only of sight and sound but of mind, a journey into a sinister land of secret rites, passwords, initiations, and handshakes, where the truth remains hidden and history is controlled by an elite group of mysterious men. Imagine, if you will, that I'm holding a book in my hands that explains this secret history and that the name of this book is Conspiracies and Secret Societies, The Complete Dossier. Here is described centuries of dark dealing, lies, murder, mayhem, and cover-ups in the pursuit of unimaginable money and power. My name is Brad Steiger, and the stories you are about to read may have actually happened at the signpost up ahead. Your next stop, Conspiracies and Secret Societies, The Complete Dossier.
2: want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our forums where you can talk to fellow listeners and gene and data. Just go to theparacast.com
4: and click on the forum links. That's the forum links at theparacast.com.
1: Okay, this is part two of the Paracast with Larry Flaxman joining us. He heads up the Arkansas Paranormal and Anomalous Studies team trying to find scientific reasons for the various paranormal phenomena. Now, you're doing so many things into electromagnetic research. Do you think the presence of some sort of electromagnetism makes someone more sensitive to
6: receiving these things? I think that's things?
5: definitely one of the possibilities. I think that the presence of electromagnetic uh, radiation, some of the studies that have been done have shown that different portions of the brain are more uh, susceptible to electromagnetic radiation. There's been various studies that have been done, again, Michael Persinger is one of the leading researchers in the field, where electromagnetic radiation applied to the frontal cortex or the cerebral cortex of the brain has been able to produce what could traditionally be considered paranormal phenomena. So I think I think that electromagnetic radiation, electromagnetic fields, and kind of in the bigger picture, resonance itself, it definitely has some, it has some causative events on, on a person related to paranormal phenomena so yes i think the brain and electromagnetic uh, radiation are are linked
1: okay so therefore i could possibly go to david say david had not experienced paranormal phenomena which he has but Mm -hmm. i could go over to him and generate the right kind of magnetism and suddenly he'll be seeing all sorts of things
5: according to dr persinger yes yeah Okay. Pretty much with anyone. Uh from the studies that I've read of his work, um, he's he takes college students, he takes uh, volunteers, they apply a specific a specific pattern of electromagnetic signals to your brain and it induces these these visions basically. You don't have to go to sleep, you don't have to be drugged, it just They turn this thing on, basically, and after a a period of time, you start to experience things that you would normally experience if you were experiencing something paranormal. So I I think that, yes, anybody probably could experience it. It's just a matter of your sensitivity level to it and your exposure level to it. You know, one of the things um, from an investigative standpoint that we see a lot are people that have strange experiences, and when we go in the house and we start our investigation, most of the investigations were able to easily determine naturally causes for you know there, there's generally a, a reasonable causation for why they're experiencing something whether it's noises whether it sounds whether it smells whatever but what we're seeing more and more is people that are having these experiences and they're having feelings and what we'll find is either a leaky breaker box, we'll find that, you know, where it's, it's spitting out high AC field enough that it, you know, definitely would cause some physiological issues. We'll find ungrounded wiring that's in a house that could co- possibly cause that as well. You know, high-dose radiation like that, whether it's, whether it's electrical radiation, whether it's electromagnetic, all have effects on the brain. And we're, we're seeing more and more of that.
0: Hmm. That's of course, still wouldn't accommodate... Situations where you had things like visual evidence or uh, let's say sightings outside. Well, I'm thinking specifically of a, an apparition episode I had with one of my closest friends in Florida a number of years ago. We talked about it on the Paracast. I'm pretty sure that what we saw was not the result of some kind of electromagnetic anomaly. We, 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 we saw it was just a full-body apparition. For some amount of time, we were sitting really close to it and then watched it dematerialize. So, uh, yeah, I don't think I would, would would put that experience into the, okay, there's an electromagnetic field box. But that said, could you even have a fluctuation of the Earth's electromagnetic field that would, has there been any case where that's happened, where you've had like this spike of electromagnetic activity in the magnetic field of the planet in, in, in a localized way that has caused mass hallucinations?
6: And that's possible.
0: I don't know for sure. I don't.
5: I don't have any any uh, source on that. But yeah, that yeah. I don't see why that wouldn't be possible.
0: Well, I mean, is it possible in the context of the amount of energy that could be localized in the Earth's magnetic field to the extent where it would be on the surface of the planet at a certain time and affect a certain number of, p- of people? I mean, I just, I'm just wondering. I guess I'm wondering out loud, if you would. Uh, that's a that's a very good idea. Kind of a yeah, yeah, a mass effect from it. Well, like one of the things that, that ends up. I guess being the case with uh, with hauntings. I mean, you have, for example, in the case of hauntings, you have places like Gettysburg where there was a tremendous amount of pain and negative energy, and, right. you know, there's this question of, is that information effectively recorded in, like, you know, oh, gee, there's a good amount of iron here. Well, God, gee, iron is used as a recording medium, you know, uh, 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 and so is there an actual physical event going on where there's some kind of energy resonance that's been somehow recorded in the ironer? There are a lot of uh, hauntings that are reported around areas where there are large amounts of limestone, for example. Mm
6: -hmm. Yeah. So, you
0: know, do you guys know about any studies that actually produce data that that have correlation with those kinds of things, those relationships?
5: No, I don't. That's actually, actually an excellent idea. I don't at all. Oh. Uh, you know, I, w- I would say most groups probably wouldn't have the type of equipment that would be necessary for that type of research. In fact, I don't even think we would have anything that would be useful for that. But no, that's that's actually that's an excellent idea.
0: Well, I guess that brings up the whole issue then also of cooperation. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, if the field of paranormal research is anything with the UFO field, pretty much what you find is uh, infantile infighting. Yeah, and uh, we've I- been a- We've been accused of our own uh, amount of it. gene is uh, often speaks weird things about people in Czechoslovakia. Or, I'm sorry, the Czech Czechoslovakia. Where? You know where? I'm just seeing if you're still listening, Gene. Just
6: curious.
1: <laughs> he has to test me every so often because he thinks that I go to sleep
0: and I never listen. No, to I the think shows. you pass out. I think you have like you know these like episodes where you, <laughs> you pass out and you start you know channeling Milton Burrow, which is just sick. So well, I,
1: actually, I think Milton Burrow was very funny. If we were going to, of course, channel somebody, why wouldn't we want to channel Milton Berle? Red Skelton, forget it. Okay, <laughs> you know, so, Well, that is also the whole point of this particular field, which is that we're contacting the spirits of the dead. Okay, that's what it supposedly is all about, that we can contact the spirits of the dead through some kind of psychic means. But if it's all electromagnetic radiation, how are we contacting the spirits of the dead, is that our imagination
3: or what?
0: Right. Yeah, that's a very good question. Well, that's that's sort of simplistic of Eugene. I mean, the whole universe is essentially a a waveform generator spewing away, you know, matter at different frequencies of resonance. I sound very new age now, don't I? Yeah, very much. um, I was was about to say, let's break out the Yanni. Wait a minute, Keys to Imagination is a good album. And he (laughs) made that album before he hooked up with that Linda Evans gal. I mean, this is when he actually still... You know, actually, there, there's some good, two good songs on that album. There you go. You outed me. You have outed me as an early Yanni fan. Okay, there we go. Peace, imagination, decent album. Everything that comes after that, when we met Linda Evans, it all just went south real damn quick. Don't don't, don't even don't even do that. Uh, you know, hey, synthesizers make good music. But well, and, and again, and that brings up, of course, the issue where I'm sure that your organization has to deal with the doe-eyed believers. I mean, yeah. you know, they believe everything, right? So right. how do you deal with those people when you're, let's say you go to do an investigation and you, you know, you arrive at a house and you find that the people there are having tea with the ghosts of the, the two <laughs> old sisters there. I mean, right. I'm sure you've run into this, right? I mean, how do you deal with oh, that? Yeah. Do, you, do you walk in and oh, go, all right, you know this is like a weird situation, or how do you deal with it?
5: I mean, you have to be diplomatic. I mean, I've been on some investigations that have been, you know, utterly comical from the the standpoint of the the property owner, their behavior. But, um, no, you know, you really need to just be professional, maintain your composure, just, you know, try to remember that you're there to do a job. And regardless of what their beliefs are, I mean, you're there to to gather hard evidence. You're there for data. You're not there to... uh, you know, soak up their
0: belief. Okay, so now let's play the philosophical game, Larry. So, you, you, you go into these situations and you do the research and you find that there are entities mm-hmm. that are inhabiting these places. What does that get you? I mean, what what else do you learn about the situation? Is there anything that you can find out or delve into beyond that? Yeah, absolutely. Is it even possible? Well, the research database,
5: the system that we're, we're we're continuously adding to it the research database will allow us as we're logging these data points from these investigations um, as we as it gets larger and larger the amount of data that's in there obviously is going to get larger and larger and the amount of correlations that we'll be able to search against is going to become larger so you know regardless of the regardless of the outcome of the investigation whether it's positive whether it's negative you know I, I think it's positive regardless just because of the fact that we are getting some data points that are being logged things that, that are, are useful in our research search so yeah that's that's how you would yeah that would be
0: it okay mm-hmm. so I, I have to ask another question I'm looking through the uh, website Larry on the member profiles mm-hmm. uh, you have to tell us what is the deal with TJ Jordan and is he the guy that shot Kennedy <laughs>
5: I he is no, right he didn't shoot you, you know I, people ask he's me a lot guy. was he on the sopranos because he, he definitely looks like he'd be one of the uh, soprano guys no he's just a, he's mm. a really nice guy he's you know he's he's our security guy he's you know a big big guy so no nothing
0: like that <laughs> are you sure he's a three-dimensional sentient being yeah, I'm pretty sure. Well, some oh, people say that man, about us. David. David. No, no, no. Gene, go check out this guy's picture. He is the man in black, dude. Yeah, he, he literally is. Yeah. He is. It's scary.
1: <laughs> well, they've said I'm scary, but, you know, that's only at night.
0: now listen, if George the Animal Steal... And Telly Savalas had a love child. It's TJ Jordan, I'm telling you. You know, going, going, going back to your
5: UFO, the UFO conversation we had earlier, you know, maybe he's one of the men in black that we've
0: secretly recruited to that's be what, on our side. That's what I'm telling you. I, the guy is like, you know, I told you, scary. I've got all
5: kinds of people in my organization.
0: <laughs> I, I think you need the TJ Jordan t-shirt, man, I'm telling you. I'll, uh, I see uh, I'll, I'll, I'll see, see what I can see. do I'll see if I can get you one <laughs> but seriously I mean you know you, you've got this organization you've got people devoting time to it you're spending money which I'm not even going to ask what your family thinks about that because I mean there is a question that, that you know you have to ask because you're out there doing this you've got your name attached to it mm-hmm. so what do your friends think what are your what does your family think do they look you kind of weird at Thanksgiving dinner what's the story
5: um, no my family actually thinks that it's, that it's Fairly normal. It's interesting. Um, you know, really? it's not really any different than somebody going out and spending a tremendous amount of money on golf. Have you ever priced clubs? You know, those, that adds up pretty quick. No,
6: you know, no, but
0: it is different. You can't say that. Well, it is
5: different. You know, you know, one of them, somebody's out, you're hitting a ball into a field, and, you know, I'm trying to find answers to the universe. So, you know, yes, there's a difference, but, you know, is one, I mean, I see where you're going with that, but no, I mean, people, for the most part, you know, I don't get any people saying, gosh, that's just a weird hobby. I can't believe you do that. You know, it's more like, wow, that's really cool. Can you tell me more about it? You know, what have you experienced? Where have you gone? Kind of stuff. I think people are a lot more interested in it than they are kind of put off by it, especially family. You know, my family all thinks that it's, it's very interesting.
0: Well, see, then you're lucky because maybe this is part about living in the South. I mean, up in New York. Um, I've had, I had a friend's wife try to throw holy water on me. Seriously? And, wow. Yeah, she put, she put lemon in it first, though, so it would be more palatable, as she said. But then she threw holy water at me. And the really did. weird thing is... Maybe she well, did no, it so it actually, sting your eyes. No, but it actually did leave like uh, acid-like lacerations on my arms. So I don't know what that means. Gene? I don't know.
1: Well, I'm, we have to talk about that, but certainly that sounds like stigmata, right?
0: Uh, huh. You say stigmata. I say stigmata. It doesn't really... Forget it, Gene. Take the show,
1: buddy. Go. It doesn't matter, man. It doesn't matter, man. Drive it, baby. Drive it, baby. Okay. Of all the things that you've investigated, and I think people like case histories, (laughs) going back through all the research you've done since this organization was founded, what do you (laughs) think is the strangest case that you've ever faced or investigated
5: you know, since starting this group I've been a lot more picky about the investigations we go on the previous group that I was associated with I didn't really have that option um, I wasn't really kind of one of the directors of it so I didn't have too much say in what we did but you know fortunately with with our organization you know people contact us or we contact them to do an investigation so we, we can kind of weed out the weirdos and we can you know pretty much investigate what we want to investigate rather than you know have it just be desperate or have you know be desperate about it but the previous organization that I was with the most memorable one and I, I don't really want to get in trouble for talking about this on on the uh, radio but we won't use any names or anything so I'll
1: tell you what let's leave a cliffhanger then <laughs> I think most of you know that I love radio, and so I decide to look for the ultimate receiver for AM reception because I want outstanding AM reception day and night, especially night, where it gets difficult. So I've discovered that C CC Radio Plus has earned the reputation of having the best AM reception, which is exactly what C Crane intended when they designed this gem of a radio. Along with its legendary AM reception, it also has excellent FM reception, a weather band, TV audio and the ability to run on batteries for, and listen to this, 250 hours. So whether you use it as your bedside radio in your kitchen or at work, the CC Radio Plus will give you the pleasure of clear AM reception. The radio is designed for the clarity of the human voice and the benefits of useful features like five memory buttons per band. They work just like memory buttons in your car. A sleep timer. An alarm clock so you can get up at the right time. And a weather alert that now works as an all-hazards alarm. You know what I want you to do? I want you to buy that radio, but also support... This show by visiting techbroadcasting.com slash sea crane. That's techbroadcasting.com slash sea crane to order the CC Radio Plus for one sixty-four ninety-five, and that includes free ground shipping and a free Sea Crane catalog. Place your order today.
3: You're in the paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next
1: you're in the paracast with gene steinberg and david Bietney. we're talking to larry flaxman from the arkansas paranormal and anomalous studies team before we ask you about the case without mentioning names so we don't want to get in trouble although i have to tell you if you get in trouble you'll be just like us we always get in trouble right david (laughs) David's not saying anything. Okay, he's just agreeing with me. Okay, so how does one get in touch with you? No, your I'm, I'm here. I'm sorry. My <laughs>
4: thing.
0: It's all David, confused, did you zone but... off listening to the Yanni? No, 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 no. Oh, yeah, nice, nice. No, actually, I don't have that Yanni music with me here in Argentina. <laughs> I
1: don't. Yeah, Radiohead. Oh,
0: actually, Radiohead. Now, 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 we go to the Radiohead show where I get to say that Radiohead has posted a bunch of really cool studio videos that support in rainbows. They put them up on YouTube. Go look for Eddie's web as the user and find all the cool Radiohead videos. Um, no, actually, my, my computer did a, a little computer fart thing. So mm. Computers I was gonna do agree that,
1: of course. Uh, and, yes. I, and
0: I was agreeing, and you didn't hear me. Yeah, computers do that. What are you going to do? Uh,
1: okay. All right, so how does one get a hold of your organization if they want to get attached um, to our it?
0: Our website is
5: www. Dot AR dot you can either go to our website or you can email um, email us at info at AR
1: okay and is this open to membership from people outside of Arkansas? Do you have to be in Arkansas to do this?
5: No, nope, absolutely not. We have members from all over the country. Actually, we have members from outside the country. We've got uh, one member that's in Singapore and one member from in, uh, in Australia. We have members in California, Washington, Florida. No, you don't have to be specifically in Arkansas. The members that are outside of the state of Arkansas are kind of a. Um, they're kind of going to be our test case, test cases for our online web training. So. Go ahead and sign up if you're interested. Join.
1: Okay, that sounds good. Okay, let's talk about the case with names omitted.
5: Okay, yeah, it was it was a very interesting one. Um, like I said in my present organization, uh, I've able to been a little bit more picky about the investigations that we've gone on. But this particular one was a uh, prior organization that I was affiliated with. It was a gentleman. I won't say his location, but he was a uh, Korean. And Vietnam War vet. He's an older gentleman. That was his his um, complaint was. I don't want to crack up telling you guys about this, but he was being visited in the middle of the night by two female spirits, and they were engaging in um, they were engaging in actions with him. Well, he wanted said, us to investigate those are succubus. yeah, something like that, yeah. Um right, succubus. Okay. Or succubus, yeah.
4: Yes. Well, okay. he, he
5: wanted us to come investigate it, and we're not Ghostbusters, and even in the previous organization we weren't either. But he wanted us. You don't have, to have a
1: particle get, accelerator like they did. No,
5: no particle accelerator, and you, you got to remember never to cross the streams. But <laughs> his deal was he did not want us to get rid of them. He just wanted us to be able to make it so it was on his own terms. Basically, every night this was occurring to him. This was a occurring with him and he had no control over it. He was getting continually actioned every night (laughs) and he didn't want it to go away. He just wanted us to be able to, you know, have a talk with the spirits and say, you know, can we, can he just do it when he wants to? So, you know, that that was probably one of the more humorous ones that I've been to. Okay. Um, So
1: basically it's not that he was frightened by them. It was, look, don't come around when my wife's here or something. Well,
5: he wasn't married, um, but it, it was apparently the frequency you know, as uh, as us married guys can attest to, that's not a problem because there's you know, there's no frequency. But yeah, oh, I mean, speak
1: for yourself, Larry.
0: Ow. you got yeah, <laughs> to a dark place uh, off quick. Wow. Do I I kinda like it. this went to a very dark place very quickly.
1: <laughs> very quickly. <laughs> Don't even well, want no, to touch that a, with a ten foot pole. Don't even say anything.
5: It was a um, but he was apparently, this was an every-night occurrence for him, and he he didn't want it every night. He wanted it on his own terms, just basically when he wanted it. So, you know, we had to explain to him that that's, you know, that's really not something that we do. Um, we'll be happy to come in and investigate what this is and, you know, see if we can you know, give you a a rational explanation for what's occurring, but we don't really have any way to to facilitate exactly what you're wanting. So, yeah, that was probably one of the more humorous ones. I had another interesting one where a a guy wanted us to come investigate his bathtub because there was a vampire that was in it. This vampire would show up in his bathtub only, not the rest of his house, but the the, uh, vampire would be in his bathtub every evening at 1030 sharp. So you know, he have to
1: bleed into the bathtub to feed the vampire? What's going on here?
0: Now, wait a minute.
6: Wait a minute! Now, you, hold you on.
5: No, no, in all so, yeah, you had to go investigate the bathroom. You had to check the bathroom out. So,
0: no, but wait a minute, now, now, Larry. Here's the thing: you have two people coming to you saying they've got recurring events happening at a specific time. In fact, I mean, so aren't you curious enough to go in well, and sit up a camera? You know, I've got a very, very
5: highly-tuned piece of equipment, and it's probably the most highly-tuned piece of equipment that, that's in my arsenal. It's called the BS detector. All right, yeah, Basically, I knew about the the BS detector, pretty much it knows all. And, you know, you, within the first couple of seconds of talking to somebody, you can generally tell how legitimate they are. And you would not believe, or actually maybe you probably, you guys probably would believe, the amount of crackpots that will contact paranormal investigation groups, you know, just for the attention alone. I mean, you know, there are people that are lonely, people that are, you know, really want to have somebody to talk to, you know, they'll contact you, and they'll, you know, want you to come out, and they'll engage you in dialogue, and you can't get out of there, and it's, it's a horrible, horrible thing. But yeah, I mean, there's there are so many weirdos that are out there that you know you you really have to you have to have that finely tuned sense, or else you you'll be stuck investigating just nonsense.
1: All right, so we understand here that people want to play games with you. So at that point, how do you separate? I don't know if
5: it's so much that they want to play games. You know, I think a lot of the people legitimately believe it, but you know, the, the people, a lot of those people are really you know kind of two sheets to the wind as it is. I mean, it's not that there are a lot of them. I'm sure a lot of them are, but I don't think the majority of people are just doing it just to you know, get the attention so much as it is that they actually believe something is occurring.
1: Okay, so it's not a question of making up a story. It's a question of being fooled or being deluded or just imagining it, whatever.
5: Yeah, I, I think that's that's more the case. Uh, there are the people that definitely just want the attention. They're the people that you know they like to be able to say, "Oh, I've got ghost hunters coming to check out my house tonight." You know, people that really enjoy that attention. But you know, I think the vast majority of the people that contact us that are that are less than legit are. are you know they they really believe what's going on, as crazy as it may sound. They actually believe that well, something's going on, just like the werewolf in the bathtub. I mean, he was absolutely convinced that that was his reality. I mean, he he believed in all of his heart that that's what was going on. Same thing with the gentleman that was having the relations with the two spirits.
1: Well, that's an interesting question here too, which it gets back to the electromagnetic stuff. That if you adjust the electromagnetism, you become more sensitive to this. And then you mentioned almost at the beginning of the show, most of the outset, the collective unconscious. Does that mean? Right. That perceptively humanity is creating this phenomena,
5: or we're all linked. Okay, it it could be it could be one and the same thing too. You know, if you've ever read anything about the Akashic field, or you know, was it Jung that had the theory of collective subconscious? Yes, that was his theory. Right. Well, he actually had a
1: UFO book about. Did he really? Yes, about UFOs being part of our collective unconscious. I did not know that. Yes, it was in the 1950s. I'm sure it sold like 10 copies because it was rather right. a deep read. I read it way back when. This is when I was young and foolish, and now I'm just old and decrepit, so I wouldn't possibly read it again. But, yeah, he definitely did.
5: Huh. I'll have to research that. That's I did not know that. But, yeah, there, there could be, you know, that that's one of the... Um that's one of the uh, the tenets of the book that we're going to be writing is that there is this field that connects everything, living and and uh, not consciously and subconsciously. So yeah, I think there is. There's definitely that 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 grid or that field that connects us all.
0: Yeah, but seeing that that's another way to describe religion.
4: Yeah, I mean, are you sure
0: you're very, not writing about religion? Well, I don't see, uh, but this is this is where science and faith start to cross one another, and and yeah, I think there are a the lot line. of people. The line definitely leave. blurs. Right. Right. I mean, at a certain point in time in human history, these things were connected. And then as the industrial age came upon us, these things got completely separated. Do you think that maybe there's some possibility that the route to the answers involves crossing the beams as they were? I mean, do you think that, that maybe that might be a productive route to go?
5: That's possibly. I mean, it's, yeah, that could very possibly be. But again, you know, if we're trying to approach this, and you know, that's how we are. We're trying to approach this from the scientific perspective rather than the the, uh, the religious perspective of things. How, how do you take a religious experience, or how do you take a religious belief, and? quantify that in scientific terms? How how do you actually take what someone is, you know, what their their belief system is and turn that into actual two-dimensional hard data?
1: You know, way back when, again, John Keel, in one of his books, maybe more than one of his books, but I know of at least one of his books where he says this, that God is this huge, sprawling, computerized entity, and that this computerized entity may not be, quote, unquote, sane, or at least what we regard as sane so it might make for a very interesting reality that is not something that's a solid reality but is like clay it's manipulated right. it's molded i hear the sounds
0: of silence
5: well it's an interesting theory i'm trying to i'm trying to digest that a little bit I'm trying to trying to uh, put that in the context He's getting yeah. all
0: philosophical on us um,
5: that, that's pretty deep, actually. You know, we, we try completely to remove religion and theology from what we do. Uh, you know, again, as a science-based organization, we're looking at, at, at facts. We're looking at black and white things. And, you know, I, I don't think necessarily that religion and paranormal events or, or phenomena have to be and in fact i don 't think that they are interrelated at all. I think they're two completely separate things. I think you can take religion completely out of the picture and still try to quantify a paranormal event strictly on environmental conditions or on, on data alone well it's, but, it's an interesting see, idea i 'm not sure how you know, how you would kind of put the two together.
6: This is Timothy Green Beckley, otherwise known as Mr. UFO, reporting live for the Conspiracy Journal. And we have a special offer to the listeners of the Paracast. Want to receive our publications for free? Conspiracy Journal and Bizarre Bizarre sent to you via snail mail. And all you have to do is email me at MrUFO at WebTV.net. That's M-R-U-F-O at WebTV.net, and we'll send you two of the most exciting publications. But we do need your actual address because these are physical publications, and you'll enjoy all the latest articles by some of the leading researchers on the field, as well as up-to-date information on the latest book and videos, and it's all for free. Or drop us a line, UFO at WebTV.net.
1: Hey there, listeners. Have you ever thought about hosting your website? You know where you can actually host your blog or your web page? Well, I'll tell you where to go. Host I Can. Host I Can. And as a matter of fact, they provide all our hosting, too, for this site. And guess what? Their price starts at only $7 a month. How could you go wrong? Its reliability and speed speaks for itself, and that's why we're able to provide you with this radio show that you're listening to right now. It's Host I Can. Give them a try. You'll be glad you did. To learn more about Host I Can, go to this website, techbroadcasting.com. That's techbroadcasting.com slash host. Techbroadcasting.com slash host. And you'll learn more about Host I Can.
7: Gene Steinberg and David Bietveen, you never know what's going to happen next.
1: We're in the PowerCast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney, and we're right now entertaining Larry Flaxman with our nonsense. He heads up the Arkansas Paranormal and Anomalous Studies team, and out of that difficult name is someone who is really interested in looking at a lot of possibilities for paranormal events, and ladies and gentlemen, that could include UFOs, although some people want to separate this. What about quantum mechanics and quantum theory and all this other stuff. Now, we have the quantum reality where supposedly you look at something, the process of looking at that has the effect of changing <laughs> the event by perceiving it. In fact, there's a, someone came up with a theory, and it hasn't been given peer review, that by observing dark matter, we are somehow causing yeah, the universe clear, right. to self-destruct at a more rapid pace. Yeah. So, if that's the case, therefore, it would mean that all the intelligent beings around the universe, by observing the universe in their own scientific way, are causing that universe's collapse.
0: Right. I don't know how much credence I actually take in that, but yeah, that's really? I, I've read that same thing. Really? Where did you read that? That's that all the sentient beings in the universe, by their observing dark matter...
1: Well, it came out so- to be a story that specifically humans investigating dark matter, but it goes to follow that if humans observe dark matter. In fact, I'll give you the headline right now. It was in Ars Technica, which is a very highly technical publication online. And the title of the article is Human Observation of Dark Energy May Shorten the Lifespan of the Universe. And it's featured... By in what, the- 10
0: minutes? Are you kidding me? What?
1: I have no idea. I don't even think they know. I just think that they're trying to come up with something that sounds interesting in theory. But again, what is not mentioned here, and it's in an article in New Scientist, and you have to subscribe to it to get to see the article but what is not being mentioned here is okay so we look at the universe and we we speed up the decay of the universe by the nature of observing it in other words like quantum theory when you look at something on a quantum level you are in effect changing the
0: event because of your perception but, of it now only if, in, well, in about, a really localized way though i mean that's the whole thing that's in a localized way that does not then map to you look up at the sky and now you're looking at the whole universe. People are drinking too much beer these days, man. I'm telling you. Well, I think it
1: takes something stronger than beer to create this effect. But this is something that scientists are debating. And we sit here and we talk about ghosts and strange phenomena and collective unconscious causing paranormal events and UFOs. You know what? That sounds remarkably sane compared to observing the universe and causing its decay. I guess so. What do you think, Larry?
5: Yeah, that's pretty deep. Yeah, I
1: That's think crazy. it's going to get so deep we're going to sink in this uh, particular soup of this deepness. It shows you how silly this is, and we worry about why doesn't scientists investigate the paranormal? Why don't I mean, scientists investigate UFOs? And they're so busy playing around with whether we're going to cause the universe to decay that they have no time.
0: Yeah, no, because if they do this, their grant money will go away. It's all financial. If <laughs> you know, if if Bill Gates like lost a couple of marbles tomorrow and decided to throw.
1: Just a minute, Five how do you problems. know that he hasn't lost a few marbles already?
0: Let me finish. If he lost a few marbles and decided to throw, like, $5 billion of paranormal research, you better believe scientists will get interested. Basically, scientists, you know, it's like, follow the money. This is what we were talking about with Dolan the other day, follow the money. You know, scientists don't want to get involved with this because certainly it will, any any professional status they have, in terms of being able to get grants to maintain tenure at a decent school, you know, it's going to go away. The, The John Max of the world are very few. Yeah.
1: So basically, we're going to have to monetize the paranormal to scientists, not just writing a book that you hope will be a bestseller or a magazine article. But you will have to monetize it. The government or some private agency has to give you a grant. And then you'll look for ghosts. You'll be a ghost hunter. Or cable TV uh, will hire uh, you. Of course it won't.
0: It's not going to happen. It's like, well, here's the thing, Larry. I I know your organization is filing for... uh, nonprofit for, for tax exemption right right, so I mean, how is that process going because this is a good indicator of how seriously anybody in power would take such a thing. are you guys finding that getting tax exemption status that becoming a non nonprofit is something that you're going to be able to do easily, or are you going to face some tough questions?
5: It's not a hard process. It's just a very lengthy process. It's not difficult uh, at all. There's there's quite a few paranormal groups, actually, that have gotten 501c3 status. I mean, as either an educational entity or a research entity, what we're going for a 501c3 is as a research organization. Um, it, it's not difficult. It's just a very laborious, time-consuming process.
1: In the UFO field, NICAP was, of course, a tax-exempt organization. I think MUFON is. And, sir, Certainly... The Aerial Phenomena Research Organization by the late Coral and James Lorenzen. Those were tax exempt, so I assume that with the proper degree of yeah, effort it, and labor, hard. you can do it. Sure.
5: Yeah, it just it takes a while. Now, what is hard is we're going for some NSF grant funding. We are applying for two National Science Foundation grants. One is a seventy-five thousand dollar grant, and the other one's a three million dollar grant. That's what we're running into difficulty with. That um, there's a tremendous amount of a tremendous amount of paperwork that has to be done for that, and. And, you know, going back to what you were saying about scientists following the money, that's exactly right. And if you've got the money and you can entice the scientists over in your direction, um, you know, you've got a very good thing going there. So that's what we're working through right now is trying to get
0: that going. But do you think that's going to be, uh, you know, a, a, a productive thing? Is that a
5: productive search? yeah. The gentleman that's writing up our, our grant proposal stuff for us has done this numerous other times, uh, not with paranormal groups, obviously, but he, he thinks that based on our mission, you know, the way that we have formulated the group that it's not going to be a problem because we can clearly articulate um, the experiments that we're wanting to actually be able to do. We're able to articulate, you know, what the aim and the organizational goal of our, our group is so you know once you have that and you have an idea of what you're wanting to do and what how you're wanting to do it it's not hard to do that, to get the money for that either but again it's it's a very time consuming laborious process.
1: You know I want to ask about something here which is we were talking just a few weeks ago about what's wrong with the UFO field about all the problems it has and maybe throw out UFO research start again. Now obviously we've had a number of organizations dealing with the paranormal over the years and I don't think we necessarily know a lot more about it today than we did 10 years ago 20 years ago 50 years ago 100 years ago correct me if I'm wrong no you're right okay so now looking at the past and looking at the fact that things haven't worked out in a productive fashion what do you do to change the texture of this research how do you say okay we haven't done anything up to now but it's 2007, 2008 coming up, and we're going to succeed where the others have failed. How are we going to do this?
5: I think the biggest challenge that the groups of past have, have faced have been collaboration and actually lack of collaboration you know communication wise between the groups even even nowadays it's, it's pretty abysmal as you mentioned before you know that there's infighting there's all kinds of drama there's you know just a lot of stuff that goes on and it, it probably happens in the ufo field as well i'm, I'm not privy to that but in the Ooh, yeah Sure, but one of the things that I think is coming down the pike, and it's something that I'm starting to see more and more groups taking an importance in, is active collaboration with other groups. You know, especially with the internet. You know, the internet's opened up worlds of communication among groups all over the country, all over the world that we haven't had in the past. So the way that it's going to get done, and the way that I think we're going to get the answers, um, is by group collaboration. It's by sharing our research data, and again, with the research database that we've created. It's going to be an international database where researchers from all over the world will have access to input data into it, to correlate, do queries on it. You know, having a national clearinghouse, if you will, of paranormal data that's accessible to all groups, I think is really going to, it's going to be the step in the correct direction. I know the way that we're wanting to approach that, um, especially to ensure that we get clean data from all the groups that are inputting data into it. I think we're doing it the right way, and I think that our perspective on how the groups need to be sharing the data and what they need to do to collaborate. Um, is, is probably what's going to be the most helpful in you know the upcoming years as far as us finding answers and getting things that we haven't been able to do in the past.
0: So how do you fund all this, Larry? I mean, you know, you're talking about a lot of work.
5: Yeah, most of it is self-funded. Our organization is, we are non-profit now. We're just not 501c3 profit. We're not federally non-profit. So you know, we get people that will donate sums of money. Um, I put a tremendous amount of money into it, and the The uh, vice president puts money into it. It's all personally funded, you know, gifts and donations and stuff. So, you know, it's it's a labor of love. Just like, you know, people spend money on golfing equipment, we spend our money on this. And that's, you know, that's how it funds it.
1: Now, let's look at getting along, as they say. Why can't we get along? So are you in touch with the other paranormal groups around the country, around the world?
5: Yeah. Yeah. We are actually, we're a member of the TAPS family, the ghost hunters from TV. So we actually collaborate with all of the TAPS families throughout the country, as well as other groups that are that are not members of the families. Um, we do a lot of stuff with groups from Texas. We've done joint collaborations with a group from Louisiana. We've done some things uh, in Helena, Arkansas. We, we've done a lot of, of collaborative things. The thing that you really need to keep in mind, though, is or pay attention to, is when you're looking at doing collaborative events with other groups, are that you want to try to align yourself with groups that have the same goals as you do and that's you know that's the one thing that we've kind of had some difficulty with. A lot of the groups, I should say most of the groups that are out there don't approach things from the same perspective or uh, use, utilize the same methodologies that we do. But, you know a lot of groups will use psychics or sensitives on their investigations and we won't. A lot of groups don't have any knowledge or training whatsoever in equipment. Most groups don't have any equipment other than a video camera or you know a cheap digital recorder. So we've we've been a little bit selective about the groups that we've chosen to collaborate with just because of the fact that we wanted to make sure that we aligned ourselves with groups that would best represent, they would bring strengths to the table and that would best represent the paranormal community as a whole. So yes, we are doing that, Um, we're not doing it with every group that's out there simply because of that, that fact that I just mentioned.
1: Hey, listeners, did you know that Fate is the oldest and best-known publication on the paranormal? Well, since 1948, Fate has provided their readers with fascinating in-depth articles on subjects like psychics and spiritualists, ghosts and hauntings, UFOs and aliens, as well as readers' true personal mystical experiences. For under $20, you can keep up with all the latest information. To subscribe, call now at one 800 728 Two seven three zero, Or visit FATE's website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com.
3: So what are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. Gene and I love to hear from our listeners. If you'd like to share your thoughts with us, send your messages to news at paracast.com. That's news at paracast.com. And don't forget to check out our website at theparacast.com, where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums. Also, please patronize our sponsors. Tell them that you've heard their ads on the Paracast. They'll appreciate it, and we will, too.
7: She came to Earth to conquer our planet. He traveled to the future to conquer her heart. Experience the adventure of a lifetime. Attack Attack of the Rockoys. The The critics are raving about Attack of the Rockoys. One reviewer writes, The father and son writing team of Gene and Grayson Steinberg have written a marvelous, fast-paced story of interstellar warfare and star-crossed love. The battle scenes are so descriptive, you can see the spaceships explode and be consumed by gigantic balls of flame. I enjoyed this story and the authors say there is more to come about the characters and the future world of the Rockoids. Fans of Star Wars and Star Trek will enjoy this story and look forward to many more adventures of Ray and Xanther. That's Attack, Attack of the Rockoids. Rockoids. Order your copy direct from Amazon Books or check out a sample chapter and get a special discount on your copy direct from www.rockoids.com That's ww www.rockoids.com. Attack Attack of the Rockoids Rockoids. in a grand science fiction tradition.
3: You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next.
1: You're on the PowerCast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney. We've got another session to spend here with Larry Flaxman from the Arkansas Paranormal and Anomalous Studies team, and we're talking now about working together with other organizations. Have you run afoul of any other organizations? And I don't want to stir up a cornets nest here, unless you want to, of course. You know. We're-
5: yeah, no, I don't want to stir up any. But yes, definitely, there are several groups in my state here that you know absolutely hate me just because of what I stand for and you know my unwavering my unwavering stick to it as far as uh, methodologies yeah absolutely there's uh, one particular uh, group that's done everything that they possibly can to slander me and you know cause problems with other people you know about me and it's sad. You know, it really is. The, the state of affairs, the way that the groups get along like that are, are just, it's sad. It really is. It really shows kind of a, beyond a lack of maturity, it just really shows that the uh, the state of seriousness, I think, of some of those organizations. You can always tell the, the people that are really, really serious about this work from the people that are not so serious that it's more of a hobby. The ones that, that gossip and the ones that cause the problems like that are generally the social groups or, as I call the social clubs, the ones that really are in this for the wrong reasons they're in it for the you know the fame purposes they're in it to say that they do something cool they're not in it so much for the uh, the scientific research like we are
0: yeah but what fame are we talking about i mean it's i don't think people magazine is covering people in the paranormal field maybe they are i don't read people unlike gene right but um What's, you know how he always way?
1: drops my name wherever he can. That I read People <laughs> magazine. David, I do not read People magazine at all. It's
0: Entertainment yes, Weekly, please. You read People magazine and you read well, Us.
5: You know, there's some groups that every investigation they go on, they'll contact media people to try to get their names in the paper, you know, just very solicitous about what they do. You know, they're trying to, to get their name out there and make themselves appear to be, you know, mini superstars. And, you know, those you know, we get our fair share of press, um, but, you know, we're not out there every day trying to build our name up or, you know, trying to get our name out, out like that.
0: No, I'm just wondering, when you say you, you get your name in the press, I mean, do you feel that the mainstream media treat this topic with anything other than derision and and ridicule Nationwide or locally,
5: because locally uh, we don't see that very much. Um, locally, the press that we get, yeah, most of the press that we get locally, believe it or not, and being in the Bible Belt, it's, it's very surprising. But most of the press that we get locally, at least within the state of Arkansas, um, is very supportive of our causes. They're they're very interested. We had some of our bigger investigations that we've had. We've had uh, media people accompanying us on, and you know, it's been nothing but positive. Light ups about, about it, you know, talking about what they experienced on the investigation, how we set up equipment, what we did. It was more of an informative type session really, more so than a, a mud slinging type thing. Now with that being said, um, one of my friends from another group here in Arkansas that we collaborate with, um, I know that uh, he had an article uh, that was in a newspaper, and the newspaper went and contacted the R A N D I person, and that they got into a little bit of a uh, dialogue between the two back and forth. So that to me is a little—that's a little bit more of a, um, you know, a little bit more of a. Uh, Trying to start problems, kind of thing. But for the most part, no. We, we really don't run into that. Most of the uh, most of the media folks here are, are very interested in what we do. They see the well, you know but, they see the ghost hunter show on TV, and they don't realize that there's people locally that do the same thing.
0: Well, but I have to tell you though, Larry, when you mentioned the fact that you're in the Bible Belt, it occurred to me that maybe because of the fact that you've got people who you know people who buy into fundamentalist religion, it's a I think it's a form of paranormal belief, perhaps people who are into dogmatic thought like that are more open to the idea of things like spirits. I mean, I don't find it surprising in a way. I mean, you see what I'm saying? I do, yeah. Some of those people are so far, you know, left
5: field with it that, you know, I I, I see both sides of it. Yes, where you think that, but I also can kind of see where, you know, the very, very far right religious people might really have a problem with it and think, you know, you're just chasing the devil or whatever.
0: Well, yeah, but still, they'll even, you know, just they'll look at all of this stuff and go, it's all the devil's work. And so, in essence, they believe it's real. They just believe it's the devil's work. Right. Oh yeah,
5: there's no question that there's that it's it's real. You yes, that's exactly right. It's just a matter yeah, of what yeah. is it.
1: Okay, what is your opinion right. about the god devil concept with regard to paranormal phenomena?
5: Well, I'm I'm very atheistic when it comes to that. The whole You know, paranormal investigation. I think of and try to separate religion from that. So I don't know that I necessarily believe what the mainstream population believes about that. You know, you know, there's people that are that consider themselves demonologists or people that are are experts in you know certain occultish type things like that. And you know, I really don't have any. um, I don't really have any input on that. Don't know if I necessarily believe it. For I mean, there's not been anything that I've seen that
0: would kind of sway me either way on that. We well, almost you know, had
1: unison your, there, David.
0: Larry, here's the thing: So I'm wondering, what's your personal religious background?
5: I'm Jewish, but with that being said, I'm, I'm a, actually very—I'm um, very much an atheist. I'm Jewish, but I, I'm not—you know—other than the major holidays, I'm not, I don't practice. So, I, I don't bring religion into what I do as a paranormal investigator. It's—it's
0: it's kind of a, a completely separate piece. But then again, and this is something that Gene and I that we've had to deal with, which is people look at any level of interest in paranormal topics, and they they look at that almost as a faith-based belief system. I mean, how do you feel about that?
5: I mean, I I think everyone's entitled to their own own opinions and their own beliefs. I mean, you know, just because you may not believe the same thing based on your religion, I don't think that's any, you know, that's not necessarily a reason to uh, either believe or not believe or, you know, I don't really know how to answer that. Do you
1: find, that's another point which maybe relates to demographics, and I'll ask you this, do you find that, for example, people who have encounters of this nature tend to reflect one particular religious class or another?
5: Well, being in the South and being in the Bible Belt, the vast majority of the people that are here are Baptist. So the vast majority of the individuals that we've uh, spoken with, that we've done investigations with, they are of the Baptist persuasion. I don't know if, that's, if that would be a nationwide indicative trend, but it, it certainly is it, we're in, in my location. Well, where you are, sure.
1: Sure. Right. Okay, well, so looking at this from a religious standpoint, do you know any Jews other than David who've had paranormal encounters?
5: Uh, actually, no, I do not. And I didn't realize, no. David, you were. Uh,
0: Yeah. Yeah, Gene and I are both Jews. Though Gene, I think at this point is technically a Buddhist, right? Well, yeah, I think that's true. I think is is a, is a, is a chicken eating, chocolate drinking Buddhist. Yeah, I think that's the deal. I, I read about I read that on your your Facebook page, dude.
1: That's right. Well, I think it was hacked, actually.
5: Okay. Well, let me ask. You know, you I think, David, with yeah. you being Jewish, what do you think about that? You've had experiences. You've had things that have happened to you. How do you reconcile, right. you know? How do you reconcile the two? I,
0: I, I'm just basically a Jew by birth, and and the fact that I have a Star of David tattooed to my arm, I'm not in any way a traditional Jew. That's exactly what I, I, I like saying. yeah, I like to think of myself as a, as a ciudadano global, which I'll let Gene translate, even though he doesn't want to. He doesn't but, speak you know, Spanish,
1: I'm, so he can't.
0: Well, ciudadano global. It's not hard to translate. A global citizen. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm at a point where I look at the planet as a planet and nationalism to me is is antiquated, should go away. The same way that religion is antiquated, it should go away. Right. Um, unfortunately, I think these things are programmed into us to make us uh, easier to control. But, you know, in a perfect world, I would do away with nationalism, I would do away with religion. I, I don't think it, it serves any particularly useful purpose. If it gives people some comfort, that's great, but unfortunately... In the world we live in today, nationalism and religion, I think are, are both very, in many ways, very undesirable, uh, sort of divisive elements. And I know that we'll get, we'll get our share of email now from people going, oh, David's bashing religion again. But ultimately, I think that, you know, any sort of belief system is potentially dangerous to us uh, because it allows us to live in denial and, uh, and not deal with the real, the true things that govern how our world works. You know, but that—that's the human condition. I mean, at the same time, what it makes me realize—I mean, having paranormal experiences—I think humbles one. It makes one realize that we really don't understand much of anything. We would like to think we do. Right. You know, all of religion is based on the idea of, oh, I, you know, we know what the creator looks like. Is you know, we know what the what the creator smells like. You know, cheese and garlic. It's like you don't know anything about the forces that create this universe. I mean, for crying out loud, we don't know much about what goes on about seven to ten miles down underneath of our planet. We don't really know much about the rock we're on. Hey, well, that you know, even raised another discussion. What a- well, we don't. We don't know anything. You know, what we know is what we're having for dinner tonight, if we're lucky.
1: Well, maybe it's too late for that, but I was going to talk about that, and that is there's one theory out there we've mentioned on the Paracast about crypto-terrestrials where there's another race coexisting with our own here on Earth, a physical race, that might in part be responsible for some of the so-called paranormal phenomena we see, including UFOs. Do you have any feeling or reaction to that, Larry?
5: I've read quite a bit about that. I've read about some of the the underground habitats of those things. Um, You know, I don't know. You know, is it something that's truly inside the earth or is it something that's on a different dimensional plane? I don't know. I've, I've, like I said, I've read about it. I don't really have enough personal experience with that, really, uh, to offer any kind of objective uh statement about that but you know it, it's interesting it's an interesting theory for sure
1: I noticed, you know when talking with you that you're being very careful and very cagey about coming to any conclusions about any of this stuff in <laughs> yeah, you a, really your can- private thoughts a little bit yeah you know, I think you're being a little careful about what kind of belief systems you might have with regard to this but having gone through the scene investigating paranormal things mm-hmm. okay what do you think personally you don't have to speak for the organization larry flaxman as a human being being exposed to lots of reports of strange things going on what do you believe or what do you theorize
6: i think
5: i think everything is connected i think there are there is a massive grid basically that connects everything and i think within that grid um there's varying levels and different dimensions and i think what's happening you know, if you look at, look at EVPs, if you look at manifestations, spirit manifest- manifestations, you know, there are things that occur every so often. They're not something that's just a, a continual thing. It's almost like the veil is, it's either pierced briefly or it's, it's, sufficiently thin that there's bleed through that comes from this other dimension. Um, I think we're all dimensional beings, and I think that what is traditionally thought of as a paranormal phenomena or a a a spirit or a ghost or whatever, I think is is no more dead than you or me. I, I think it's it's just another realm of existence. It's another level of existence. You know, it's it's not necessarily dead people, it's just does that make sense? It's just kind of—I don't even know exactly. Yeah, it, it,
4: it, it,
5: they're not any more dead than you and me. It's just—it's just a different level. It's a different vibratory rate. It's a different
0: level. It's another—what's the word I'm looking for? Well, another representation of energy. No, like, yes, exactly. Yes, That's exactly. an organ level organization.
1: Yeah. Okay, but then we go to life after death. Does that mean that when we die, we go to this other dimension? We transfer to another dimension, have some level of existence there? What?
5: Well, you know, I mean, if, if you think about not being able to be created or destroyed, what happens? What are we? You know, and when we die, what happens to that? So... I don't know. You know, f- from the physical perspective, it's pretty obvious what happens. You know, we go into a coffin and we rot. But, you know, is our consciousness, is our life energy, um, is that something that can be destroyed, or is that something that can transfer to another another level? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Well, actually, I, th- I think you do know. Uh, Larry, I think
0: you do know the answer. because well, if that's you don't. what I
5: was about to say. I, I think... You know, I don't know this for sure, and of course there's no way for any of us to to definitively say 100% this is the way it is. But, you know, I think what happens, you know, when you shuffle off this mortal coil is that, you know, your energy is simply transformed and you, you you move into one of these alternate energy sources one of these alternate forms of of reality you're on a different dimension basically i think that's what happens I, I really do i think that you know when you die you don't die per se your physical body may die but your consciousness your you know, you exi- continues to exist, and I, I think it's just we may not see it, but it may be right in front of our face. If if that makes any sense.
1: Okay, so what about reincarnation? When we go to this other place, are we transferred into another body, another
0: vessel, or what?
5: Reincarnation is an interesting thing. I've done a tremendous amount of study on that. Um, you know, it, there's been lots of lots of scientific um, evidence that has actually been done on that, especially with children. With uh, you know, children being born speaking languages that they've never been able to if they've not grown up around, having knowledge of uh, events and things that they, they would not normally have knowledge of. I, I don't – I haven't fully reconciled in my mind how we transfer from that dimension back into the physical dimension. I'm fairly certain that it is possible just based on what I've read from the scientific literature that, that's done that's done studies on that, but I don't know – I don't I don't really know how you would transfer from one to the other. And if that transference is possible, then there's got to be some way where we could do it ourselves, if that makes any sense. Or I, I'd like to think that there'd be a way where we could do it ourselves.
1: So if we decide we don't like this dimension, we go to the next one, but it doesn't require yeah, just, committing suicide or anything.
5: Right. Just kind of check it out. Uh, it gets kind of crazy. It's possible, but, you know, that, that's something that it, it would seem like it would be, but who knows.
1: Hey, we only have a couple of minutes left, and I want you to tell our listeners once again about the book that you're working on with Marie Jones. It's called, you have a two-volume set here, called...
5: Okay, the first book is tentatively titled Beyond Science, Exploring the Links Between Resonance, Consciousness, and the Zero-Point Grid. And the second book is going to analyze more of the psychological effects of paranormal phenomena, and it's called Beyond Science 2, Exploring the Psychology of the Paranormal.
1: When are these books going to be published?
5: Uh, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> just, we're the initial uh, writing stages of them.
1: Okay, so we're probably six months to a year away at this point?
5: Probably, yeah, mm-hmm. I would say probably six months. Mm.
1: Are there other publications of yours that we could look for other than the website?
5: Uh, most of all the white papers and everything that, that I've written are on the website. Most everything you can find on our website, yeah. Uh,
1: okay, so tell our listeners, before we let you go, out of the door with Elvis, <laughs> speaking of the paranormal, Okay, tell our listeners again how to get in touch with you, how to check out your website.
5: Uh, www.arpast.org, arpast.org, or you can email us at info at our
1: Okay, and by the way, we will have a link for that at thepowercast.com. So this way, if you didn't pick up The URL, which doesn't always fall smoothly from your tongue, that will be another way to do it. We appreciate your words of wisdom, Larry, and a very sensible, level-headed approach to the paranormal. And unfortunately, I think in this field, we don't get too much of that. We get so much of the crazies out there, and we've had a few of them here, and sometimes we have to tell them what we think about what they say, and we get in trouble for that. But we appreciate what you have to say, and I want to thank publicly Marie Jones for mentioning you to us, and we wish you the best of luck with your book. We wish you the best of luck with your organization, and we hope to have you again on the near future. I
5: appreciate it. You guys have been great. And
1: you've been great, too. Larry Flaxman, thank you so much for joining us on the PowerCast.
4: Thanks. The PowerCast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietany
2: is a production of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Join us next week for a new adventure in The PowerCast.